Hey, Basil and Gons. This is Josh Peck, author of Disclosure and founder of Mini Study Ministry at www.ministry.com, where all my books and products can be found. Just wanted to call in and say you guys rock. I really appreciate Canary Cry Radio as it's the place for people to get Bible-based answers to their untraditional questions. If anyone out there isn't a regular listener yet, you need to be, because I'm telling you, you'll learn a lot more here than most churches about all the weird little fringe topics that's jam-packed throughout the Bible, all the stuff the majority of the church doesn't want to touch. That's what I'm all about in my ministry, so it's refreshing to see the same thing here. It's also a great place to have a few laughs, too. Thanks for your amazing and brilliant show, guys. Keep up the great work. Take care, and God bless. Please welcome Vice President Al Gore. There's a rumor, I don't know if this is true or not, that some scientists are trying to figure out a way to block the sun to try to, to slow down global warming. Yeah, it's a measure of the, the feeling of desperation that some of them Are feel. they really thinking they can do that? Well, yeah, some of them are seriously proposing, and I, I think it's completely nuts. Yeah. Uh, you know, you put a, another kind of pollution, sulfur dioxide, up to orbit the cover the atmosphere. The sky won't be really blue in the way it is now anymore, but it would block out some of the sun's heat uh, so that we wouldn't have to take the difficult steps to stop spewing all this global warming pollution into the atmosphere. Could a strange substance found by a southwest Arkansas man be part of a government test? Well, that's the question at the heart of a phenomenon called chemtrails, now getting widespread attention. It seemed like somewhere it was just crisscrossing the whole sky. They were just, it was just like a giant checkerboard. Bill Nichols snapped several photos of the strange clouds from his home in Stamps, Arkansas. They begin as normal contrails with jet engine, but do not fade away like a normal contrail. Soon after, he saw particles in the air. Occasionally, News 12 had the sample tested at a lab. The results? A high level of barium, 6.8 parts per million, more than three times the toxic level set by the EPA. You're listening to Mary Cry Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And my name is Gons. Welcome to episode number 60. 60. Uh, our guest today is Dane Wigington, and he has a background in solar energy and is a former employee of Bechtel Power Corp. Uh, he owns a 1,600-acre wildlife preserve next to Lake Shasta in Northern California, where his residence has actually been featured in Home Power Magazine, which is the largest renewable energy magazine. Uh, Dane's been looking into the topic of geoengineering since 2002 when he noticed that he was losing a significant amount of solar uptake due to whatever was being sprayed in the air. And he's now the lead researcher at geoengineeringwatch.org, and he's investigated all levels of geoengineering from stratospheric aerosol geoengineering to HARP, which we've talked about on the show a lot. And we are very honored to introduce our guest for this episode, Dane Wigington. How you doing, Dane? Good guns, Basil. Thank you very much again, and thanks for your guys' uh, ongoing work to, to try to shine the light on issues that desperately need a big light. Absolutely, and thank you for coming on the show. Now, let me just jump right into something here. What exactly is the term geoengineering? It kind of sounds like Slartle Bartfast from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide there, if anybody gets that reference. Uh, you're a champ. 
You know, but, uh, it's yeah. The, the term is is not well known by people, and it's not necessarily self-explanatory. People get a lot of different impressions from that term. Geoengineering means climate engineering, and in the case of uh, climate engineering, we're talking about globally, not not uh, a local or regional uh, sort of experimentation. So uh, there's two acronyms for this basil. You have SAG, Stratospheric Aerosol Geoengineering, SRM, Solar Radiation Management. And in essence, this is um, these acronyms describe programs that amount to playing God with the weather. And in fact, uh-huh. that's exactly what we have. And at this point, a few of us have, alive have known natural weather completely because we know these programs have been going on for a very long time, at least 60 years, uh, ramping up the whole time. They're, they're on a much larger scale now in the last decade than they were before. But once you affect any part of the system, you affect the whole system. And, and so, you know, not... Again, many of us have ever really seen truly natural weather. So. Wow. That's interesting. Definitely. Now, okay, we kind of had a list here of what, where we're going to go, but I'm, I'm kind of interested on how, you know, you said it's been going on for 60 years now. Can you give us sort of a, a background on that and, and how, that, yeah, not, how that all yeah, started? Definitely not uh, conjecture in that regard. I, I, I've scoured... Uh, all available sources for data, you know, constantly for the last decade plus. And uh, on one occasion, a, a document surfaced in the NASA archives, 80 pages long. And whether it was put out there for us to find, I, I can't say, but it was there one day. 80 pages long, the presidential document, fully outlining the national weather modification programs as of 1966. This document's 80 pages long. It's posted on geoengineeringwatch.org, um, and other sites have it now as well. But that, again, outlined the full scope and scale of the programs as of that date, referring to these programs going back at least 10 years, and we have other documentation now that takes them back to the late 40s. And even then, in 1966, these programs had budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars. found a subsequent document from 1968 with photos with the Soviet weather modification scientists touring the U.S. weather modification facilities so clearly collaboration going on between governments at the height of the Cold War in regard to weather modification. We believe that collaboration exists today. Uh, that's why it's so hard to get the word out on these programs because all the major powers are at it. So uh, they all sort of cover each other's back on this. Uh, and, the, and the ramifications are are now quite as dire as they could be in regard to the global climate system versus life support systems and the damage these programs have done to those systems. Now, what in particular, what sort of things have been happening, say, in the 60s, and, and what effect are they having, or have they had, on, uh, like you call, the, the Earth's life support systems? You know, the, I mean, obviously, people ask, why would they do this? And I think if one just stops to consider the, the obvious goals for people who crave power, to control the planet's life support systems is to control the planet and those on the planet, and we know that those in power are obsessed with such control, and they're addicted to such control, so, you know, ultimately all such insanity goes back to the, the desire for power and control. The, the stated purpose, like on this, or in this document that I mentioned from the NASA archives, was to take rain from areas that they felt had excess and deposit them in areas they felt had deficiency. So, again, it's to try to, to try to manipulate the system, but just as we see Gonzo and Basil with pharmaceutical 
approaches to the human body, you try to address one thing in a system that's been uh, perfectly created and and it affects everything down the line negatively. And the same is true with climate modification. So the more they do, the more damage they've done to the system. They've shredded the ozone layer. They've completely thwarted the hydrological cycle, the rain cycle. They've disrupted upper-level wind patterns, which are being specifically manipulated now with ionosphere heaters around the globe. We can go into that. So there, at this point, there is no natural system. It, it's all being uh, altered and mutated. And the more damage they do, the more they engage in these programs to try to mitigate the damage already done. And now they have triggered feedback loops that cannot be turned off. Methane uh -huh. expulsion, methane hydrate, uh, ozone diminishment, and, you know, either one of which is a potentially life-ending scenario on the planet. And, and now it just seems a vicious cycle of uh, the further we get painted into a corner, the more painting they do, you know, and... Uh, the more they try to throw out these programs, and, and the balance just goes further and further off. So right. we're, we're all in a very deep, deep, dark corner, yes, right now. Right. Now, you mentioned these feedback loops. Is that, I mean, can we extend that all the way out to things like Katrina and Hurricane Haiyan and things like that? Is that a, is that a product of that, or is that um, just a side effect of natural things? No. Those storms... Both storms you mentioned, Hyann and Sandy, appear to have absolutely been <clears throat> manipulated. And, and I, we have quite uh, a strong platform to make that statement. In the case of Sandy, for the weather disseminating agencies, by the way, all of which are owned by the same entities that run the weather modification, they had to control the message or the events would be recognized as completely unnatural. So you have Rothschild's ownership of Weather Channel, Weather Central, Weather Underground. You have Raytheon, defense contractor Raytheon, does all the modeling for NOAA, National Weather Service. Uh, Lockheed Martin does it for the FAA. So you have, this is why the message in, in regard to Hurricane Sandy, that they, they could miraculously know that Sandy was going to make an, a completely unprecedented 90-degree westerly turn six, seven days out. There's simply no way they could have ever predicted or known that unless it was the scheduled weather. That's that's a key word. The weather is scheduled now at this point. So that storm was clearly engineered, although in the case of Sandy, we have satellite imagery that shows they were heavily aerosolizing that rotation, and it appeared they weakened the storm before it hit. Wow. Uh, that storm had a 940 millibar center, 1,000-mile circulation, should have been a Cat 3 or Cat 4. So... It looked engineered, but it looked like it was a measured blow, maybe to send a message as to the power they had. In the case of Cayenne, so oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so, so, so you're saying not only it was Sandy not um, sort of a vicious side effect of weather control, but it was a, a uh, conscious effort to create the storm and place it where it had been placed. However preposterous it sounds to people, if they examine the data, the data is there to back this up. If we go back 200 years and, and told people you could talk on a box to someone on the other side of the planet, they would right. lock you up. Uh -huh. So this technology exists, and we know this as well. We know they have the ability to suppress and completely uh, diminish the cyclonic rotation. People should, should scratch their heads as to why there's been no major hurricane impacts in the U.S. coast. And Sandy was not a major hurricane, as I just stated, even though it did horrific damage. 
No major impact since 0506 when even according to the Discovery Channel, the U.S. reinstituted its hurricane suppression program after the, that horrific year of 0506. And they don't want hurricanes turning in the Gulf. None have. No major storms because they don't want the sea of oil sitting on the bottom of the Gulf to be churned up. They absolutely have the ability to suppress these rotations when they choose. We see it over and over on, on satellite imagery. So they could have absolutely eliminated Hurricane Sandy, but not only did they, they not eliminate it, they steered into that location. In the case of High End, the rapid and extreme intensification of that storm before it made landfall was incredibly anomalous. We have a HARP, which is the ionosphere heaters. These are radically powerful ground-based radio frequency transmitters that can heat the ionosphere to 15,000 degrees Fahrenheit over vast areas, five, 600 square miles. That causes a bulge in the atmosphere. That allows them to steer the jet stream. That allows them to enhance storms. And so, again, in the case of Haiyan, they could have eliminated it. Not only did they not, it appears to have been intensified. And now we have, miraculously, right now, John Kerry in the Philippines uh, making agreements to radically increase the U.S. occupation of the Philippines. You know, this is a 2 plus 2 equals 4 equation. We saw the same thing in, in Haiti where there was very anomalous weather events that led to U.S. occupation there again. We saw Pakistan. When Pakistan uh, showed resistance to U.S. policy, they almost immediately found 20% of their country underwater. Same in Thailand, exactly the same scenario. So weather warfare is real. Weather warfare is, is, is now. These programs are being used for uh, wow. purposes that people can't quite get their arms around. Wow, that is fascinating. Now, you mentioned a couple of things like spraying and and harp and you talked a little bit about the ionosphere you know, temperature modification but what are some ways that they're going about this and, and is there anything that we can see directly well you, you, what you have basil is the this, the academic community is scratching their heads and appears to have blindfolds and earplugs in and you know they're they're uh inability or unwillingness to recognize these issues, some for obvious reasons. I mean, I've spoken to NOAA scientists that told me off the record they know these programs are going on, but they're, in their words, alarmed as hell. They have no First Amendment protection, so they won't talk about it. But um, in these anomalies we see, jet stream manipulation, for example, you have the scientific community recognizing that jet stream is doing completely unprecedented things. And this is how the snowstorms that have been occurring, not just in the U.S., but now we see in the Middle East, these are completely engineered storms. If, if you examine the same scenario they use again and again, they'll put a massive dip in the jet stream, completely anomalous, pump some cold air south, pump, in many cases, subtropical moisture into it, as they do in the U.S. They'll take moisture from the Gulf of Mexico, combine it with a huge dip in the jet stream, and this this 45-degree moisture miraculously just turns over to snow. And these are new terms, by the way, used by Weather Channel and Weather Central. And you try to coin terms that condition people to think this is somehow normal for it to snow now at 45 degrees. And yes, the temps come down after the nucleation process continues, but um, they have a whole host of, of tools in the toolbox for geoengineering, and, and, and many of the people can't really get their arms around. But we know the snow is nucleated. We've tested it. We're lab testing again now. Uh, and ice nucleation, we have the patents for this, one from NASA, artificial ice nucleation for weather modification. Uh, the Chinese scientists openly announced they were doing this. People can look this up uh, if they Google that exact term, Chinese scientists create artificial snowstorm until they did a billion dollars worth of damage to Beijing, at which time they, they uh, quit talking about it. But bottom line is, uh, again, the weather from top to bottom, from the jet stream to where the precipitation falls to what type of precipitation falls, all being engineered top to bottom. 
So these sound these sound like pretty complicated processes that you're talking about here. They they are in some senses, but again, these guys have been at it for so long, and this is really right. a primary element of geoengineering. And and you know, many were doubtful of Snowden's release on geoengineering. I felt it was authentic. It's exactly what we expect a government document to say that. Uh, if they stopped these programs, the the weather in the U.S. within a year would be absolutely horrific. Well, what made it uh, so volatile? What what has pushed the climate system into such a an erratic, chaotic state? And there's a lot of again, we have not been good stewards with the planet. You know, humankind has not been very good to the planet. There's there's no getting around that. A lot of people want to ignore that, but. That being said, the single greatest cause, and I'm not saying the only cause by any means, but the single greatest component of climate disruption at this time appears to be, according to all the data, geoengineering. So, um, you know, it's, it's playing weather whack-a-mole at this point. The, the more they force the system, the more the system forces back, the worse things get. The, the planet's natural response mechanisms that have been built into it to compensate are all being thwarted. And, and, again, it's the pharmaceutical cure with the, the military-industrial complex agenda of power and control that is, is literally putting all life on Earth in the balance, quite literally. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I know that our audience is, is alert and aware about these issues, but I wanted to ask about chemtrails in particular because, you know, in California, where, where we, we are, even this morning, I mean, I took pictures of it. I mean, we see chemtrails. It's a daily thing now. And, you know, we see it in the, in the, in the skies. My daughter points out, hey, there's a big X in the sky over our school. I mean, what are they spraying? And for the skeptic, why should we believe that what they're spraying is actually harmful or affecting this geoengineering? Good questions, Gonzo. And for those that are skeptical, they simply have not looked at the data. We have video footage now of KC-10s, KC-135s, spraying in altitude, nozzles visible, uh, spraying being turned on and off, up close vis video. I mean, there's there's positively no question this is going on. We have elements falling to the ground in lethal quantities, exactly the elements named in numerous geoengineering patents, aluminum, barium, strontium, manganese. Now we're detecting fluoride. There's some uh, Norwegian researchers that have gotten fluoride in 60 out of 60 tests they've taken. Wow. So... When we have these elements falling to the ground, uh, and many like to claim they're coming from China, California Air Resources Board has tested the aerosols from China. Heavy metals, with the exception of mercury, are not amongst those materials. Uh, they don't migrate across oceans. They're too heavy. So we know this is a localized disbursement. It matches the patents. And, again, we have video footage of them spraying. And, and simply, you cannot have a long-expanding and lasting trail without a particulate in that trail, and that's what we're talking about. These are particulate trails, not condensation trails, right. particulate trails. So NASA, uh, or NOAA, excuse me, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration changes the science, just like when Fukushima happened, and suddenly they up the safe limits of radiation, which there is no safe amount of radiation. It's all right. But they change the science to match what they want people to believe. Uh, the original criteria for a naturally occurring vapor trail, 70 below, 70% humidity, and even then only 20, 30 seconds. That's what it said. Now you have a completely different list of, quote, uh, scientific criteria. All the federal agencies adhere to this. Just like they uh, make up whatever science they want with WMD in Iraq or the Gulf oil spill, they just simply change the facts to suit their agenda, period. So we shouldn't be seeing anything up there. Right, but I mean... Don't people that are within the organizations, I mean, how come they don't point stuff like that out? I mean, wouldn't they see the discrepancy between what has been, 
you know, the standards throughout or not throughout history, but just, you know, up until that point, and then they see the change. Is there anyone that's speaking out within those organizations that, you know, may be skeptical of what's going on? You know, I mean, I mean that is, that's the part that I think is hardest for most people to believe, that there could be no discussion about this in academia. And this is what I would say about that fact, Gonzo, is that, again, when I spoke to NOAA scientists off the record, that's exactly what they told me, and I'm quoting directly, we're alarmed as hell, we don't know what to do about it because we have no First Amendment protection. So you have that element. And, and the notion that academia could not know about this or meteorologists could not know about this, they're, they're either literally mentally retarded, clinically blind, afraid, or just lying their backsides off. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one in, in those categories. And I, I think that's what we have. I mean, it's, um, it's the same sort of thing you have with 9-11, where you have buildings clearly, clearly being demoed on 9-11. You have 2,200 architects and engineers now stating on the record that those buildings did not fall at free-fall speed, especially Building 7, without a lot of help. Yet you have scientific agencies like NIST, the National, National Institute for Science and Technology, stating that uh, they, they literally make up a scenario and they make the modeling fit their, their made-up scenario. Right. And everybody buys that scenario, and here we are. And so when you have uh, NOAA admitting, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, again, admitting the sky is full of particulates. They don't know where they're coming from. The state of California, I've spoken in front of the California Air Resources Board, California Energy Commission. They recognize the state's losing 20 to 40% of its rainfall from particulates of unknown origin, but they can't say anything because the whole state's being kept afloat with printed Fed fiat money, 30, 40 million a year. So wow. the system's bought, sold, paid for, and those in the system feel threatened to speak out, so you have this huge dam of silence. Right. So these particulates in the air, these chemtrails, these are particularly for uh, affecting weather, or is this something a little bit more sinister? You know, we can't know all the layers in the onion, and I, I think there are a great many, and, and a lot we, we can speak toward. In, in the case of, for example, fluoride, that we, we know from Norwegian researchers is, is in their rain test, a, a nanoparticulate of fluoride if it's the, the the smaller the particulate, it tends to migrate rain. So in the West Coast, we get hammered with spraying. Of course, the whole planet is, but the, the particulate size here is is likely much smaller because it forms too many condensation nuclei, and the rain does not fall here; it migrates onward. So in in the case of certain particulates like fluoride, if it's then later exposed to certain RF frequencies, radio frequencies, those particulates can be made to coagulate, come together form a bigger condensation nuclei, and then cause the rain to fall. So they can, for weather mod purposes, yes, this is a way to migrate rain from one place to another, drought one place out for various reasons. Perhaps California is being droughted out right now for derivatives trading advantages or simply right. to bring the state to its knees. Um, but also the biological testing, I mean, you, you have credible organizations like the Conicum Institute identifying some very, very uh, alarming pathogens in some of these samples and you have areas like Northern California, uh, according to even mainstream media, 50% chronic illness. So, yeah. um, you know, it's hard to argue. They know that, that certainly those spraying these elements know how toxic they are. In the case of the heavy metals alone, they're doing it. It causes a cognitive dysfunction. We're seeing the stats from that. So I, I think there's a lot of elements here, Gonzo. Uh, weather warfare, weather manipulation for that purpose, um, perhaps uh, sickening up a population which makes it less liable to 
uh, protest against such things, and uh, I think there's a great many layers to the onion here. Right, and or, a, or a need of health care at that point. Right, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, some some form to, uh, to get them to get on some more prescription drugs, but what about advances in technology? I mean, you know, nanotechnology seems to be on the horizon here. What Do you think that they're using some of these chemtrails to test out even more, you know, highly technical things like, you know, nanotubes and and various technologies that we don't even know about? I do. I, I think that what we know about is probably a, the tip of the iceberg to what they're doing, and what we know about is bad enough. And and then people always ask, well, why would they do this, they, they being the global power structure, if it's going to harm them as, themselves as well? On that note, for chelation, we know of a very expensive, exclusive chelating method. It's one facility in Germany. It's not available to the general public. I've spoken to a researcher that's managed to get in several times. Um, the, the blood is pulled from the system, and it's it's literally cleansed. The system is cleansed. And if, if this was done by the elites even once annually, they could exempt themselves from many of the buildup uh, effects. As far as the rest of the planet goes, the feedback loops that are triggered and, and methane hydrates, you, you talked about the increased spraying down your way, Gonzo. Um, seeing that all over the globe or hearing about it all over the globe, methane hydrates are now radically increasing their rate of expulsion in the Arctic. And this is not being talked about by media. I believe the power structure is panicked from this event that's unfolding. They know it will sink the entire ship, and they're trying to respond in the only way that they know how to respond is to do more of what they're doing. So, you know, if pounding your head against the wall doesn't work, you just you just pound it harder. That's their mentality. And they're they're literally pounding the nails into our collective coffin right now, all of us, including them. But this is this is their mentality. Same mentality that detonates two thousand nuclear bombs on planet Earth. Uh there's no sanity. Yeah, interesting. Now along with the chemtrails and the effects from that does this have anything to do with ocean acidification? I know we we've mentioned that before. It does. It does. When the methane hydrate migrates from the seafloor to the surface, it has a, a, a profound acidification effect. Um, I mean, we're seeing right now oceans are, are quite literally collapsing around the globe. You have anoxic zones with no oxygen, 400-plus uh, dead zones around the planet that we know of, plankton. And this is where the equation gets particularly dire as you have geoengineering shredding the ozone layer, which we we know is occurring, I mean, the science is very clear on that. It's, it's not the CFCs, which was a red herring, and not that that's good for the atmosphere, but that was stopped 30 years ago, so why do we have a massive and growing northern hemisphere ozone hole? So the geoengineering particulates, when you spray those in the atmosphere, it shreds ozone. Now we have UVB readings coming down, and we're, met, we're monitoring this, by the way. Our group is monitoring UVB. It's minimally 1,200% higher than we're being told, 1,200%. It's killing plankton, and now you have global plankton stocks down 50%. Plankton wow. creates 50 to 60% of Earth's oxygen content. Uh, you have these cycles are starting to feed into themselves from every direction. So the acidification, you have the UVB killing the plankton. You have uh, the ice cap is melting, although they're trying desperately in the way they know how to shade the Arctic and artificially chemically nucleate ice for the surface area to expand a bit. But it's, you know, they're, they're literally trying to stop a tidal wave with a Dixie cup at this point, and it's, it's, it's a matter of time. The ice will melt, the plankton, or the, uh, the methane will continue to expel. And, and I believe our only chance is to let the planet respond on its own the way it was created to respond. 
And uh, short of that, uh, if human engineering is not halted, I, I think our horizon looks uh, dim indeed. Yeah, it does not sound good. Now, does do these processes have anything to do with things like tsunamis or earthquakes or any sort of maybe a little bit less weather-related things? Yeah, it does. It does. That's a good question, Basil. I mean, again, we're into we're into areas that people can't get their arms around. That the notion that uh, a, a seismic event could be triggered by human intervention is beyond what most people can imagine. But we know. For example, in the right area, a, a correctly placed hydrogen bomb might trigger a seismic event. But even with HARP, and, and that stands for High Frequency um, Active Auroral Research Program, and it simply means it's an extremely powerful radio frequency, about 3 billion watts, that can cause a electrical chain reaction in the ionosphere, but they can also bounce that signal back down into the planet, and that signal can cause a, a vibration. In fact, a lot of people are hearing this around the globe. They're hearing these these uh, rumbles and noises, and and uh, the data would say this is directly related to, there's 26 or 28 of these uh, facilities around the globe. If they concentrate it on a certain area, and we can see that signal, there are monitoring agencies that where that signal shows up, like we saw above the epicenter of the Japan quake. So was that... Was that something that was triggered? And again, this is from many people beyond what they are willing to even consider as a as a reality. But and even though I knew the technology was there, I, I certainly was still skeptical to some degree. Until before the J- Japanese quake, three days before, I was asked by a friend who has a relative in Army intelligence who who lives in the California coast in Eureka. She was told to be away from the coast on that Friday morning. This was Tuesday before that morning. And I didn't give it much thought because you hear things like that all the time. And you can imagine how shocked I was to see that happen Friday morning. So um, a lot of dots connect there. We know the signal was there for some several weeks above that epicenter area. We, we know the harp signals were there. And under the right conditions, if one looks at the technology of being that kind of power into the crust of the earth, it's, it can have profound effects. So, yes, to answer your question in long form, Basil, it appears that they can and have triggered seismic activity. Wow. That's amazing. Um, uh, John's you still there? Yeah, yep, still here. Okay, good. Um, wow. These are like kids, you know, Basil, it's like, uh, it's like crazy kids in a sandbox with lethal toys. And they just, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're clinically insane. They're, you know, we're all, uh, lack of any better word, they're just evil. And, uh, right. You know, it's uh, and, and the potential now for destroying life on Earth is very real and, and unfolding. And, and this right. is, uh, of all the things to focus on, geoengineering is the single largest assault against everything created that that uh, lives and breathes. And it's it's the issue that can unite people. It can bring people together from every political stripe, from every uh, perspective. That this is an all-out assault on life. If you right. can't walk out your door and breathe without sucking this in, you know you've got a very real and immediate problem, and not to mention what it's doing to the other aspects of the planet. Right now, short of divine intervention, what's to be done about this? Well, Just from the know, bottom I to take the top. That, I take that question very seriously, you know, and I, um, I feel this is my post, or I wouldn't be at this. I mean, this is what I feel. I'm. I, I'm supposed to be doing, and and I take that seriously. And on that note, I 
as dim as the horizon looks and, and as far into the curve as we are, I, I believe that every single person we wake up, who we help to, who, whose field of vision we help to expand, matters. And that if we could bring, if this one issue could be brought to light, that where people all over the globe realized that they were expendable, not only expendable, but a liability to the power structure, and that that would unite us against this, uh, this element of insanity and evil, if you will, then that is a giant leap in the right direction, no matter what. And as far as what other uh, forces are there to help us and, and, and the creator and, and whatever other elements may go along with that, I, I think we have to, to hope for that and, and, um, and not um, lose sight of that fact. And in the meantime, keep our eye on the ball that uh, none of us can know what the future will bring, but we do know that we're supposed to follow through with what appears to be a responsibility to, to speak to the truth, to stay at our post, uh, demand that post until we're relieved, period. And I, again, from whatever perspective a person might have, whatever uh, belief system or so forth, it's hard, it's hard to argue with those principles. Those are biblical principles. They're principles in other uh, belief systems as well. And I, I think they're principles that really can't be argued with. You can't. Right. And, and I, so I think we stick to those those uh, laws for life, period, and, and uh, uh, do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And we leave the future in, in bigger hands, eh? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, our audience is of an evangelical Christian bent, and, you know, we, we do look at the Bible as a way to, to shape our worldview. And it's interesting because there's a section in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, that's called the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus talks about the end of the age and, you know, what we can expect to see. And it's just fascinating there because he talks about, you know, nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and then he says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And, you know, most people throughout history have read that, and it's like, oh, you know, in the just the natural phenomenon, it's going to increase and this and that. But in light of all this information, it's just really fascinating because maybe he knew <laughs> 2,000 years ago that there's going to be, well, the, the Bible already talks about a, a global world structure that's going to be, you know, happening towards the end of the age. But, you know, maybe he knew that these are the folks that are going to be actually controlling the weather and manipulating it and things of that nature. So it's it's fascinating to consider those things. It is fascinating. It's quite accurate as well, and I and, and there's nothing natural about it. And and the, you know the the terms that are used to describe what's unfolding around us uh, are certainly on target, absolutely on target. And uh, and I I've had interesting experiences with um, I there are there's great division in in the um, in the Christian church with issues like this. And I I'm very grateful for those that any anybody who would, would um, be a part of the information you guys are disseminating is certainly uh, following the correct path. They're, they're certainly trying to get at the truth, and I, I, my highest regard for them. I've been into, unfortunately, a number of churches, and this has no reflection on, on Christianity at all, only the individuals that are, um, are in certain particular groups that are not right. following their own uh, beliefs. And I even just this week with a, a pastor of a, a large Christian church, and this is about the fifth or sixth time this has happened, who, after me trying to present data to him, said, well, uh, we're not really concerned with this. You, you might as well, you know, you can take your data with you. And I, I challenge that. But that is absolutely not scriptural for him. Not at all. 
that you know that this uh, notion of what the parable of the talents would say too. Correct. It once you know if you have uh, you can't just uh, if you have, if you're in a position to do something about an issue and you and you choose not to. I mean, obviously not following uh, what's clearly right and and their willingness to look away from the truth is certainly not scriptural. And I. You know, after challenging this guy, he kept he kept the data. But you see a lot of that now. A lot of uh, people behind the pulpit that simply want to stay in their comfort zone and not do what clearly Scripture would tell them to do. Right. So um, I hope that you know pe- uh, groups like yours who clearly are interested in, in the truth and, and getting at the truth and and uh, I, I give my highest regard for you two and and, and uh, your listeners and and I hope uh, you can help wake up others that they're. Uh, it's kind of str- head straight from the path, if you will. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and another another uh, big consideration for Christians, especially, is stewardship of creation. You know, it's our job from the very beginning. We've been charged with stewardship of all of creation, and so yeah, absolutely. When that's that's another thing. I yeah, I mentioned to him too that we're. Uh, to ignore something like this, playing God with the weather that is ripping the, ripping the planet apart, is uh, the epitome of, of being a bad steward. <laughs> yeah, that got to him too. So I, yes, all those points, I I agree. Yeah, and definitely, you know, we know that uh, we we've come, you know, face to face with the established church, if you will, and and you know we're we have our uh, you know we've had our discussions of that as well but you know i wanted to bring it back a little bit to what we were talking about before with um specifically some of the the global power structures is there an actual war if you will an internal war within the elite for control over these devices or machines or or the technology or is that just ruled by you know a small group at the top and and they you know they're not going to share it and any any kind of qualms or you know, struggle over it is just fabricated. You know, that's an excellent question, Gonzo. And I, I have uh, very, um, I think I, I have strong views on that because I believe there's reason to have. I think your question, the, the initial part of your question, is what's most accurate. There is division in the power structure. That's in our favor. And I think now it's it's just like we see mafia families would would fight about a certain area once there's not enough of the. Uh, of the pie to go around. Right. I think we're seeing that now in the power structure. Absolutely seeing that, and that's a step in the right direction. So, as it's clear to them that they are not going to tech their way out of this, that their arrogance, their insanity, has reached its limit, and that they have now shot themselves in the head as well, and the ship is going down. Uh, I, I think we are seeing that fraying apart of the power structure. So. Right. Again, the methane situation is unfolding extremely quickly. Um, we have, uh, on, on that note, a, a pretty clear idea of how that can unfold if it continues on this track. The power structure certainly knows this. I don't, I don't think they can hide this much longer. I think they're frantic to try to make whatever preparations they're making and play whatever cards they have before it's widely known that they right. have done what they have done. It seems like on the geopolitical scale, that this could be used in incredibly effective ways to bend, you know, geopolitics to the will of, you know, one mafia family, or, you know, however you put it. Um, are there specific instances that you can see? I know you mentioned um, the U.S. occupation of the Philippines and, and Haiti and things like that. I'm, I'm assuming those are examples of, of that 
Is there, are there any other examples that we can point to? Yeah, you had Ahmadinejad on the floor of the UN twice. Of course, our media didn't cover it, but he stated clearly on the record that his country was being droughted out by these programs. Nobody covered it So they can, they can wield this hammer anywhere they want. And um, the, the fact that academia has got its head in the sand, and we, we spoke to actually, or it was um, a direct communication from a Fox News meteorologist who said they're being taken into meetings and told, you do not discuss this issue. And we absolutely believe that to be the case. I know a scientist at Duke University who's, who's reached out to me, and um, she, for just discussing geoengineering, has been taken into a room twice and told if you continue to discuss this, there'll be consequences. What, what does that mean exactly? Wow. And we have, you guys remember when the birds fell out of the sky? Remember when? Yeah. All the, okay. A lot of people don't know that that happened in about 34 places around the globe at the same time. And you had uh, John Wheeler, a former Bush uh, administration person outside the Pentagon, who was identified as saying he was going to, to sign the light on these programs, and he was found in a landfill two days later. So, wow. you know, that's how the game is played with those on the inside. And, uh, you know, you can see why scientists don't want to talk out. There's been a tremendous amount of biologists uh, that, you know, appear to be in some way or another possibly connected with programs or programs like this that have gone missing or, or been killed suspiciously or in the last uh, several years. So it's, uh, I think there's a great deal of fear. I mean, this, this is something that Snowden spoke to, I think he referred to as the, um, the, the government referred to this program, according to Snowden, as their, um, God, I can't think of the term you use, their crown jewel or something like that, you know? And, right. And, I mean, when you can covertly decimate countries and n- not have any really open recognition of that, for example, in Africa, where the, this has been going on for decades, we believe the geoengineering, they've been drought, they drought out countries and they bring them to their knees and they, uh, in order to shut the rain back on behind the, the, the curtain, who knows what sort of negotiation is going on there. Right. I mean, this is not new. Yeah. You know what's interesting is I had not heard anything about Snowden leaks re- referring to geoengineering or, or weather control. That's something that I, that I had personally had not heard. And that says a lot to me that the media can focus so much on the spying and I mean, it, it obviously is a. It seems like a, a game plan move for someone to focus so much on the spying and the NSA overreaching, completely cloud out uh, the weather control. I agree. And, it, and it, 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 yeah. As soon as those leaks came out, there was there was a real effort to discredit what he said. And, but yet, what he said was completely plausible. It was uh, exactly what you'd expect him to see in government documents. And in fact, he's, another reason he gave for not going further into that or not giving more actual documentation was he felt it would put the lives of those involved in great jeopardy. Wow. Lives of people on these documents. So, and, yeah. and, so he didn't make a lot of statement, but again, what he stated is exactly what we would expect to see in government documents. I believe it was authentic. And the kind of spin you have going on, I did, uh, you know, the kind of omission like you just referred to, Basil, um, I did an ABC interview uh, several weeks ago, and the main layer of proof they offered for these programs not going on, they had 
Professor Joyce Pinner from University of Michigan. She's a professor of atmospheric sciences. They had her, they framed her into a question. She looked uncomfortable on the film, but they basically uh, told her to answer uh, what was in jet exhaust, which is not our discussion. We're not talking about jet exhaust, but she, they framed her in a way where she looked like she knew nothing about geoengineering, like she'd never right. even heard of it. Wow. If you Google her name, of course, uh, uh, she does lectures on geoengineering frequently, had just done one for MIT discussing the spraying of particulates into the atmosphere for solar wow. radiation management. I mean, and absolutely uh, no indication of that with a ABC. And this is the degree they go to to just, it's not deception or spinning, it's just really an out-and-out -out lie. Yeah, just but, bold face lies. Yep, that's right. So wow. We've tried to expose that, and, you know, that article's out there, too, for people who want to see it. It's on our site. You know, we, we outlined, and, and all that, they never, through the entire interview, never, they, they chopped my part down to about uh, 30 seconds out of 20 minutes and omitted every single mention of the term geoengineering, climate yeah. engineering, solar radiation management. They made sure there was no terms given in that uh, broadcast that could possibly lead people to actual that, science. Yeah, that anybody could Google and find out more about. Now, that's interesting that you mentioned you on ABC and things like that. What What is, I mean, obviously, everything is, is being covered up and there's a huge... Uh, effort being made to, you know, avoid the the actual terms that people could look into. But what other sort of mainstream um, uh, situations have you been in that that you know in your work to expose this truth? Well, I mean, I you know I've done interviews on coast to coast, and I, I've done probably a couple hundred interviews total. Right uh, now, you know, the some of the larger radio stations even seem to be unwilling to touch the subject as if they've had their chain pulled or something. Uh -huh. And if you look at the wider context, if you look at the the whole climate situation and the geoengineering component of that, I believe the ramifications are so dire that you can really link this to, for example, you guys know that Homeland Security has bought, in, what, what is it, 2.2 billion rounds of 40 mm -hmm. caliber hollow point? Yes. You guys know that? Yeah. yeah. So, I, I believe even you can you can tie geoengineering into this, that at the point in time that the majority of the population realizes that uh, Junior's autism and Granny's Alzheimer's and their own hack and their their garden that won't grow anything anymore and the, the ripped apart climate and all of this is a part of these experiments that have been done without their knowledge or con and consent, that the power structure knows that that's the point in time when the population is going to grab the pitchforks and the torches. And, and so you can link these, this massive purchase of ammunition even to into geoengineering. If, if, if geoengineering were brought to light, this one issue, it would drag almost everything with it. People would realize, again, as I stated earlier, that they were not only expendable, but they have been irreparably poisoned. I mean, there's, there's no other word for it. We've all been poisoned. Every day that goes by, we're poisoned worse. This stuff's building up on our systems. And... I think if we could just reach critical mass on this one issue, it would change the flavor of what we face so radically that it would uh, it would be a giant leap in the right direction. Again, the rest we have to leave in bigger hands. But um, certainly, when you're climbing a mountain, you don't you don't focus on the precipice that you need to climb 3,000 feet up. You have to focus on what's right in front of you. Right. right. And this is the most important step. And if we can make it past this one, uh, we could change the dynamics of the game with uh, the, the insanity and evil that we're, we're dealing with here. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, you mentioned the, the bullet rounds and I think perhaps even the gun control issue that's out there as part of it as well. But, um, you know, there, there was an article in The Guardian that came out recently, I think it was the end of November, and there seemed to be a debate about uh, climate science. And it was between a guy named Mike Homey and David Keith. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but... Uh, um, okay, so so Keith came out and he basically said that that you know he's a, he's pro geoengineering, saying that it could significantly reduce climate impact to vulnerable people and ecosystems over the next half century. Are these people? I mean, are they are they not looking at the data? Are they are they paid you know advocates or <laughs> how come there are you know people in universities that are actually advocating for geoengineering? David Keith is a public prop. Uh, he he has. A very big ego, and I—I I mean, truly, I—I I, I say this. I—I I believe. I'll say it as as my personal belief that he, he is not sane. I've been in an exchange with David Keith at, uh, in the international geoengineering conference. This is on film and on the record. People can see on Michael Murphy's films, and, and George George Barnes's film. Look up, by the way, has this this little excerpt too. But but with David Keith after a three and a half hour symposium where he pushed aluminum and alumina, not sulfur dioxide, as he has done recently. Uh, so he's, he's simply trying to spin things to fit public approval. But after a three-and-a-half-hour symposium of pushing, dumping 20 million tons annually of aluminum in the atmosphere, uh, in a room full of journalists, they allowed three questions. Mine was one I asked. He had not addressed during that whole symposium anything about human respiratory effects, environmental toxicity. Had any studies been done? And his first response paraphrase was, well, we looked at this, and there's a lot of junk in the air already. A little more won't hurt. Well, you know, before they cut me off, I, I forced the rest of the question, which was, that stuff in the atmosphere isn't aluminum nanoparticulates. His final answer was this. We don't really know. We haven't studied this. Could terrible things happen tomorrow? We don't know. Well, that, what kind of question is that from a, a quote-unquote scientist who is the really the, the, the most recognized geoengineer on the planet? How cavalier could you be? And, right. and so now they, they know pu- the public's not going to go for that, as they learned from that conference. After that conference, by the way, after that question and answer between he and I, they, they didn't allow any other journalist into the next conferences after that. It was, you know, they, they didn't want that to happen again, apparently. Wow. But So now you have Keith. Did you guys see the uh, little bit on Stephen Colbert with David Keith? Mr. Keith, Dr. Keith, what do you got? What are you calling you? I'm good with Mr. Mr. Keith. Okay, all right. Now you've got you've got a, a, a little a little book here called A Case for Climate Engineering. How will we save the planet? Because all the people, all the chicken littles out there, are saying the planet is warming up. You don't believe that, do you? I totally believe it. It is warming up, and I've been thinking about, along with many other people, ways to stop it. Okay. Does it involve me using one of those little pigtail light bulbs? <laughs> That is a useful thing to do, and uh-huh. I have those in my house, uh-huh. but I'm thinking about something else. Okay, good. What's the other thing? Because I'd like to do anything other than that. Exactly. exactly. Okay, so what do we do? So the other thing is horrifying. It is that you could actually spray sulfuric acid in the stratosphere, 20 kilometers over our head, 
and use that to stop the planet warming up. And it's okay, kind of texting. You could you can spray something into the atmosphere to change. Yes. Okay, okay. Spray pollution into the atmosphere to stop it warming. So in the end, pollution saved them all. <laughs> we owe pollution. We owe acid rain an apology. It would is what be you're a totally imperfect technical fix. Okay. It would have risks. It wouldn't get us out of the long run need to stop polluting, but it might actually save people and be useful. Okay, so how, again, I, I interrupt you slightly there. How does it work? You take, how many planes are we talking about here? How do you do this? So let's say you wanted to stop it warming in 2020. Yeah, you yeah. start with a fleet of just two or three kind of modified business jets. Well, kind of like, like a G6? Yeah, like a G6. Like a G6. That's like it. Like a G6. And you, and you put... You'd put, say, 20,000 tons of sulfuric acid uh -huh. into the stratosphere every year, uh -huh. and each year you have to put a little more, mm -hmm. and this doesn't, in the long run, mean that you can forget about cutting emissions. We will need to rein in. No, we'll emissions. get to it eventually. Yeah. But it does. In the meantime, we're shrouding the earth in sulfuric acid. So people are terrified about talking about this because uh -huh. they're scared that it will prevent us cutting emissions. Right, and also that it's sulfuric acid. <laughs> It is. You're bearing the lead. Is there any possible way this could come back to bite us in the <laughs> Blanketing the earth in sulfuric acid, because I'm all for it. This is the all-chocolate dinner. I still get to have my CO2, and I just need to spray sulfuric acid. Right? All over the earth. Right question, but we put 50 million tons of sulfuric acid in the air now as pollution, and it okay. kills a million people a year worldwide. Okay, and that's and so good or bad? It's terrible. <laughs> But it'll be better if we put more in. We're talking about 1% of that, a tiny fraction of that. So we should reduce that sulfuric acid. So if it kills a million people and we're only doing 1% more, we're just killing 10,000 more people. You can do math. Okay. But that's, so, so killing people is not the objective here. Killing people, not the objective. objective I just objective wanted to be clear. I just wanted actually, to be clear. Actually All right. slowing All right. climate change, actually okay. stopping climate change in a way that could help people this generation people living now in a way there's no other easy alternative. Can you just do it for part of the planet? Pretty much the whole planet. No, but could you? Could you just like say just make things better for the United States? <laughs> Very hard to do. It okay. seems that this is mostly global. But the big fear is that one country will want it one way and one the other, like two frat boys arguing over the thermostat. And in many ways, the biggest fear here, but we have no idea how to actually agree about how to control the planet's thermostat. So let's say the United States uh, and China say, yeah, let's do it. But Russia and India say, yeah, not yeah. do it. This is the kind of stuff I wake up sweating about. Exactly. Well, it's your <laughs> idea. <laughs> no, it actually turns out to be an old idea. This really? was known since President Johnson. And the sign of the community mostly decided not to talk about it for fear that people would then lose the threat of cutting emissions. Now, it, 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 what happens to the sulfuric acid after it's sprayed? Does it just stay up there? No, it rains down. Okay. But, it, but as I said... <laughs> It rains down. Okay, okay. It's a tiny addition to okay. what we're already doing. Have you gotten some, some grief for suggesting this? Sure. I mean, this is like writing a book that's the case for leprosy. But, but... Do you have one of those? Is that <laughs> yeah, it's a great weight loss plan. But also, many people are happy that people are finally talking about this, because while it is ugly, it does appear that it really could do some good. Could an individual start this? In practice, only a country. A okay. Big country. What about a man in, like, a hollowed-out volcano? <laughs>
with henchmen who occasionally shakes his fist at the sky and says, They said I was a fool at Harvard. Who's the fool now? It's, it's, it's... It's the natural worry, but I think in the end, no. This would be done by major countries, but the problem is how countries agree about where to set the thermostat. Who decides? And my biggest reason for writing the book and for talking about it is my view that we won't make good decisions in ignorance. So we have, to, make the, we have to have the discussion now so that when it becomes our last hope, people can say, hey, we talked about this. Remember, we said we get to do it. The worst... <laughs> The worst way to make decisions about this would be if we all agree that we won't talk about it in polite society, we suppress it, which is basically what had been happening, and then in you know, 20, 30, suddenly in a crisis, we make fast decisions. Maybe it's happening already. You ever look at those planes up there? They have contrails behind them? Maybe all those planes with the contrails, maybe they're actually spraying chemicals into the atmosphere right now, and Uncle Sam isn't telling us. seems extremely unlikely. The, fact the United the States is not telling something to its citizens? That seems extremely <laughs> likely to me. We believe so far. I think they might have your idea already. Dr. Michael Bear brilliantly exposed Keith. This is only a few days ago. This is about uh, five, six days ago. So Keith, um, now Keith's message is that we could do this with only two jets dumping 20,000 tons of sulfur dioxide. This is in direct contradiction to all his former uh, presentations on this. So now it's just a simple matter of creating a, a complete lie you try to gain some sort of public acceptance to geoengineering, like like two jets, uh, two private jets, by the way, very small jets, could fix our problems, it's it's absolutely ludicrous. We're back to stopping a tidal wave with a Dixie cup. I mean, the, uh, they have literally thousands of jets flying around the planet every day right now, dumping tens of millions of tons annually. And we, we know it's that much from the amount of material it takes to change the force for pH, which we have in Northern California. So much metal has fallen on us here, it has changed pHs of the forest floor here 12 to 14 times toward alkaline. You're talking about a mountain of metal. So now he's out there trying to completely spin some yarn about uh, a couple jets fixing the climate problem. And, and uh, it, it's just, he, he's a public prop, that's all. So all these debates that go on back and forth, uh, Gonzo and, and Basil are, are simply to try to take people's eye off the ball, make them think that geoengineering hasn't started when it has. It's just simply for distraction. And David Keith is simply a prop. That's all he is. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, so let's talk about this. We know this is all going on. We know, especially with the heavy metals in the air, is there anything that the layman can do, just even on a personal level, to try to curb the effects, uh, the negative effects of, for instance, chemtrails and spraying and, and, the heavy, and the metals in the air and things like that. Is there any, you know, s simple tactic we can do just to alleviate some of those negative effects? Yes, dietarily, there's a lot you can do. Again, no matter what you do, we have to stop the ongoing exposure. Or right. Everything will be moot in the end. But... Uh, and again, I'm not a physician, so people should uh, pursue or verify this advice with their own uh, circle. But vitamin C, calcium, magnesium, all the minerals, I mean, things your body needs so that it doesn't substitute these heavy metals in their stead, which it will do. Chelating these metals out of your system is very important to do on an ongoing basis. And even vitamin C and calcium aren't good chelators for these metals. So th there's dietarily a lot you can do. I would go to, people should go to their local 
health store. There's generally a lot of good, uh, knowledgeable people there that can help them get what they need to start chelating this out of their system because it's all bioavailable. Uh, according to internationally recognized neuroscientist Russell Blaylock and other experts, and he's an award-winning international scientist, a neurologist, um, these nanoparticles enter right through the lung line, into the, go straight into the bloodstream, enter the cell receptors like a plaque where they build up. And this is bioaccumulative. And by the way, by the way, put David Keith in this equation and their, their lack of uh, regard for what these particles do. I was given emails from a Stanford bioscientist nanoparticulate specialist who I went to Stanford and interviewed, and she had emails back and forth with David Keith discussing what I'm discussing with you now, the effect of these nanoparticulates and human microphages and the system as a whole. Keith knew nothing about any of this, nothing. And it was astounding to look at his emails where he was sort of uh, really taken back and didn't know how to respond. So, again, you see his complete lack of uh, even knowledge of... Uh, the effect of what he's proposing, which just paints the picture that much more clearly. He, he's just a public relations prop. But the bottom line is, yes, there are things you can do. Yes, people should do things. But back to what everybody can do to help us stop these programs, and everybody can play a tremendous part in this. People now are realizing, because of these rattle, radical weather fluctuations, we're seeing 50, 60-degree fluctuations in a day in many locations. It's astounding. And uh, an example I give often, guys, is uh, May 1st of this year, Amarillo, Texas, was 100 degrees on the ground, all-time record for the day. It snowed the next day. Now, how do you go from 100 degrees to snow in one day? And we're, we're seeing 50, 60-degree swings all over. So people are noticing something's wrong. Even people that are focused on what's happening with the climate and not acknowledging geoengineering are now realizing something's radically wrong. Everyone from their own home computer can find these people, find these groups, find journalists, get credible data. And we, we, you know, we have on geoengineeringwatch.org a, a lot of credible articles. We actually have our own program to do exactly this right now with a core group of people. And we're mailing targeted emails with very polished messages to these key people that we locate their contacts. And we plead with them to investigate geoengineering, we give them some credible data, and we hear back from a lot of these people now that didn't realize, they simply didn't realize this was going on. And we need to start those spot fires. Everyone can help us start those spot fires of awareness. And if we get enough of those spot fires going, it'll it'll merge into a giant blaze, and they, they won't be able to put it out. We'll get this to light. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I had a question that might, you know, it's a different sort of angle at this. But just scripturally, bringing it back to the Bible a little bit, it talks about this antichrist figure, this world system at the end. And, you know, we look at a lot of things like transhumanism and, and all these different things that are promising us a lot of, uh, you know, life extension and uh, Ray Kurzweil, Google trying to defeat death. And they're, they're trying to push us towards this merge with technology. Do you think that, that that is part of sort of a Hegelian dialectic type thing going on where, you know, they're, they're destroying the planet, they're destroying us? Well, you know, they can say, hey, look, here's a solution for you guys. Let's, you know, we have this technology that can, you know, help you guys extend life and all this stuff. Not, you know, moving away from the sort of natural aspects of, of creation and how we can, you know, be symbiotic with creation and, and, and extend our lives that way or be healthy in that way. Do you think there's something there, or do you think it's? Do you think I'm crazy? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I, I, now, I, I think that there's 
there's two sides to that. Yes, are they trying to, uh, we see obviously with GMOs and things of that nature that that effort is absolutely there. There are some that have subscribed in the case of the, the climate engineering that this is an attempt to kill all life on Earth and replace it with some something synthetic. I, I don't believe that that's truly the the end goal. What I believe is that they've tried to, on a limited basis, accomplish what you just outlined. And even in the case of human beings, I mean, only God knows what sort of experimentation they're doing now. And, and really, there's no way we can know what part of that is already happening with us with the materials we have already absorbed. There's technology called electronically stimulated biotech in, in which we could all be seated with particles that could be then electronically stimulated pathogens, for example, that might become virulent when exposed to that frequency. So this is real technology that exists. So is this all going on? It appears that it's probable that it is. And we know in the case of GMO uh, crops it is. And now with geoengineering, because those particles are bioavailable, according to German and Norwegian researchers, again, they're seeing horizontal gene mutation in all plant life. And that probably means all life, period, at this point. So they're doing this. But I believe also, again, that the power structure now... It realizes, certainly, that they have torpedoed their own ship, and the ship's going down fast. And th this could be a good thing for us, and that it, it, the rest of us, and that it brings this to a head, and it, it perhaps uh, gives us some chance at stopping this juggernaut of, of total insanity. So, although I believe they've tried to do that type of genetic modification, and they have in many cases, many we know about, and probably a lot more we don't, I think ultimately... Um, What's happening now with the planet was not part of their plan. Methane hydrate release, ozone collapse, um, and I think that they're increasingly in a panic and also fighting amongst themselves, as, as Basil and I discussed. Absolutely. I mean, I I think that's uh, that hits the nail right on the head there. Um, well, why, so what was your email one more time? Or not your email, your your website one more time. Uh, our website is geoengineeringwatch.org. Uh, we're all geoengineering and. Uh, we don't have any advertising there, and also a good tool for people to use. Um, have you guys ever seen the Skyder Alert website? No, you know what what's that, that? Is? Uh, that's a that's a very good tool for people to use. It's an interactive website where people can identify where they're spraying. It goes into a, a downloadable app that notifies uh, notifies political leaders in the area, and it's um, it's it's quite a, a powerful tool. And there's a a film done by producer George Barnes, who made that film, called Look Up. There's a, a trailer for that film on that site. And that uh, Look Up film has already won six or eight awards. It's a great intro tool for this uh, this subject. Um, very professionally done by filmmaker George Barnes. And I, I encourage people to look at the Skyder Alert. It's S-K-Y-D-E-R Alert, uh, all one word, dot com. SkyderAlert.com. And... Uh, that's on our website, too. You can see at the front of geoengineeringwatch.org, and, and that's a great tool to use, to again, to mail that link to people to try to introduce this subject because too many people don't know this is going on. They don't look up. You could you could have a, a fire in the sky. They wouldn't see it. They, they need to be alerted to this. And, and, again, if we all do that, we'll reach critical mass a lot sooner than we think, and uh, it's imperative we do that. These programs literally have life on Earth completely in the balance, and no matter what other challenge we face, if this one's not dealt with, I believe, based on all available data, that, that this will determine our collective fate. And, and short of 
nuclear catastrophe, which we may we appear to have on our hands now as well with Fukushima, uh, geoengineering is the greatest and most immediate threat, bar none. And uh, if we could bring that to light, maybe we can focus back on trying to deal with the nuclear issue. Because right now, again, if you can't walk out your door and breathe without sucking this stuff in, it's contaminating your system, affecting your ability to think. We've got a problem right now, and geoengineering is that problem. Absolutely. Dane, this has just been an amazing interview, very enlightening. Now, just before we wrap up here, we're at the end of the year, it's 2013, we're moving into 2014. Do you have any predictions, or what do you expect to see in regards to geoengineering, maybe even goals um, of either you or, you know, the evil elite trying to poison us all? Well, you brought up something earlier, Basil, that I didn't really elaborate on. There's there's a lot of controversy right now over what's happening with the climate and what's doing what. And people need to they need to focus on geoengineering as as a primary source of the confusion that's happening with the climate. There there was a lot of statement that the Arctic ice was expanding this year that it, it expanded 50 percent. And this is related to your question, Basil. I'll, I'll leave it in. Uh-huh. That's the surface area of the ice. That is not the mass or the volume. So the geoengineers have, with artificial chemical nucleation and solar radiation management, which simply means to spray enough toxic metallic particulates in the air to block the sun, which is, is, is completely 24-7 blocked over the Arctic. So they, in doing that and chemically nucleating the surface, which they can actually freeze the surface of the water with chemical nucleation, even at above freezing temps. So they've managed to increase the surface area, but the mass is about one-fifth of the 30-year norm. You even have the U.S. Navy now admitting that they don't think there will be any Arctic ice by 2016. Back to... This is 84 years ahead of modeling. You can look this up on The Guardian. They just covered this article recently. So uh, it's going to be hard to hide that for very long. That will help expose geoengineering. In the meantime, because I think the power structure realizes the gravity of the releasing methane hydrate, they're going to go all out. As you're seeing that spraying in Southern California, Gonzo, seeing it everywhere, they're going to go all out in a very desperate and very destructive attempt to slow the release of methane. And, and in doing so, they're going to add even more fuel to the fire, painting us even further into a corner. So that's what I think the power structure is going to be doing uh, right now from here on out. And at the point in time they can't hide it, at the point in time the public becomes aware of it, I think uh, the fireworks will start to fly and I think that point may be very near. So people should uh, try to help us wake up the population as a whole to this issue as fast as we can to bring it to light so that we might yet change the, the nature of our equation and take a leap in the right direction, a giant leap. So that's what I would advise people to do. I mean, this, this issue, again, I focused on it not because it's something I felt uh, comfortable with or, or had a particular bent towards. It's simply... Uh, when when the, the ship is sinking, you you plug the bottom of the ship before you worry about uh, polishing the rails on the deck, you know? Absolutely. Well, Dane Wigington, thank you again for coming on the show, man. Um, really appreciate it. Very enlightening. This has definitely been the most thorough and comprehensive explanation of uh, this topic that I've, uh, I think, ever heard or even read. Um, why don't you give us your website one more time? Geoengineering Watch. Dot org. Again, my, my gratitude toward both of you for, I, I know the work you've already done, I've seen some of it, and I'm, I'm very grateful as well, and uh, I'm honored to be on your show, and, and again, thank you for helping me shine a light on this issue. You bet, man, and thank you for coming on, and we will have you on again hopefully next year so we can get an update on how everything's going. Sounds good, guys. Have a great day. You too. Take care. 
The views and opinions expressed by the authors and guests on this program are not necessarily those held by the hosts of Canary Cry Radio or its community. Make sure to visit CanaryCryRadio.com for show notes, episode archives, forums, and more. You can contact us by clicking on the contact tab or emailing us directly at CanaryCryRadio at gmail.com. If this episode touched your life, your worldview, or your beating little heart in any way, please consider supporting the show financially. You can do so by visiting CanaryCryRadio.com and clicking the support tab. There you can sign up for a small monthly donation. Or if commitment's not your thing, you can leave a one-time donation in any amount. Canary Cry Radio is and will always be free, so your support is what keeps us on the air. Make sure to catch the next episode of Canary Cry Radio, and until then, think outside the cage.